Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl and welcome to episode 21 of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. How are you? How you doing? I've heard about you. I've seen you blooming. It's a special day in the Cage Rage realm, because this is, uh, upon recording, upon releasing, hopefully, uh, it's September 14th. That is my 29th birthday. It's my birthday, can you believe it? Daryl, why are you not taking a, taking a day off? Why are you not doing this later? Why are you not doing this sooner? Because here's the thing. This is how committed I am to explaining to you, dear listener, dear rager, that Nicolas Cage is the greatest actor of our generation. Mine is but mortal time, classified in mortal ways. Nicolas Cage is an, a man who could not be confined by mere human measurements. And that's what we do here on Cage Rage. We are on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. It's a pleasure to have you here. You're always welcome on the train. Always room for family, friends, enemies, lovers, enemy lovers, and more as we go through the entire chronology of Nicolas Cage's works, from the greatest of his films all the way down to the greatest of his films. As you well know, we rate them on three systems, bronze, silver, or a gold cage, never anything less than a bronze, because he's never made a bad film, and I'll fight anyone who says otherwise, until we've watched them all, and then we'll probably just watch them all over again. So, this week, I've spent most of this week not at work, and you know what? Not being at work... It's fan-fucking-tastic. I love not being at work. It makes me so happy. I don't have to do anything. Only two sort of obligations I've had. Um, Fall Guys. I mentioned it the other week. I've been playing a lot of Fall Guys. But let's just cut to the quick here. Straight to the chase. Straight to the hog, if you will. You are now looking, listening, to an 11-time, 11-time Fall Guys champion. Call me what you want, call me any name under the sun, but you will call me Double D Dangerous Delicious Dynamite Diamond Boy, the Double Digit Daryl. Oh yes, my friends, we do it for you, we do it for Cage. We do it in the pursuit of the rawest, goldenest dogs. In terms of second obligation this week, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe the drama if I told you, but Ian, he knocked on the door. Thursday night, 7pm, and he says, look... Here's what it is. I go to Scarborough. Going away for a few days. Can you take out my bin? I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe what I was hearing. Couldn't believe what I was witness to. My hog sucked firmly back into my stomach. And as I struck him across the face again and again, I said yes. I looked into the heart of the abyss. The abyss looked back. And I said, yes, why? Because I'm the bigger man. Because I am the bigger man. And I did it, I took the bins out, both were taken. And now that means he owes me a favour. I've got him in the palm of my hand. I never asked him to take out my bins. But now here we are. The devil owed his due, right? So good things are coming. Speaking of good things, we continue. In 1994, we go to It Could Happen To You. The 1994 American rom-com starring, of course, 
Nicolas Cage alongside Bridget Fonda, co-written by Jane Anderson and Andrew Bergman, the latter of which also on directing duties. It Could Happen to You sees Cage's Charlie as a police officer in New York who meets bankrupt waitress Yvonne, played by Jane Fonda. Upon realising that he has no money to tip the kind waitress, he promises to split the winnings from a lottery ticket he has just purchased. To both of their surprise, Charlie's ticket comes in clutch. He wins four million dollars, or a 24-cage diamond to you and me, and decides to honour his agreement with Yvonne. Andrew Bergman was also responsible for writing and directing Honeymoon in Vegas, which gives him the honour of being a two-time Cage collaborator. Imagine that. Now, the film is very loosely inspired by the real-life events of 1984, where police officer Robert Cunningham and lifetime friend and waitress Phyllis Penzo split a lottery ticket. They chose three numbers each on the ticket and went on to win $6 million dollars that the two would later split. So it kind of got me thinking that, um, you know, if Ian ever asked me to split a lottery ticket with him, I would take every penny for myself, no questions asked, you know? Then I would continue to live directly opposite him, and then he would have to look up every day at all the shit I spent our winnings on before he sadly inserts his nub into his bin for his weekly bin bang. It Could Happen to You would release July 29th, 1994 and earn just shy of $38 million at the box office against an initial budget of $30 million, as well as sitting with a tasty little rating of 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. This also marks film number three in the trio of films that Cage would title the Sunshine Trilogy. Uh, this, upon his next film, which we'll be discussing next week, would be his final Real notable comedy, um, certainly for a, a while. Other films would be, sort of, I think, ironically labelled as comedies like The Wicker Man Down the Line, but Cage wouldn't really be known for comedies much after this. The night is soon going to kick off in a big way, but we'll get there. The Cage train to true nirvana always reaches its destination. So, tucking into It Could Happen to You, found this available for rent on Amazon Prime. We open... On a hazy morning in New York, the yellow sky, which we now know from media, is meant to imply atmosphere and or Mexico. Uh, the narrator, Isaac Hayes, he introduces us to the characters of this world. He introduces us to Charlie, really selling his attributes as a, a positive man, a kind person, a resourceful New York cop. He stops blind people from being run over and he even delivers babies on buses. Now, if we are to measure kindness by the size of one's hog, then Cage's heart is surely the biggest and kindest of them all. We also learn he is married to Muriel, a hairdresser who hates queens, who is very selfish, constantly complaining about their situation, sort of driven by uh, not so much ambition, but greed, sort of the results rather than the process of getting there. The narrator also introduces us to Yvonne, who we learn has been lumped with her estranged partner, the failed actor, uh, in $12,000 of credit card debts. I just also want to point out uh, quickly here as well that Isaac Hayes is wearing a green tie with lobsters on, and if that is not peak 90s fashion, then I don't know what is. Long story short, Yvonne is declared bankrupt. 
and it's uh, not having a good day, I think it's fair to say. Certainly the narrator, a.k.a. Angel, in a name that will be uh, somewhat more prophetic than it initially appears, we'll come to that a little bit later, officially introduces us to the story he declares as pretty much all true. I mean, as we discussed earlier, it's about 20% true. Um, the real-life situation had zero cage and even less raw dogging. You know, Phyllis and Robert in real life, they didn't raw dog. They just split some money. So, who cares? That's not interesting. If no one's being hogged, that story ain't being flogged. You know what I'm saying? But don't worry about it. Charlie is basically um, all but a cook to the nagging Muriel and is persuaded by her more or less forced to buy a lottery ticket. It's it's a real shame to see Nicolas Cage play an Ian of a character, you know, but that's where we are, that's the situation that we're in, and we'll have to make do with it. She persuades him to buy the ticket because she says that she's had a dream where she's seen her dead father come to her in this dream in the form of a um, like a slots machine. He had like the dollar signs in his eyes, like some kind of cartoon wolf. And she wants him to buy the ticket in this vain hope they can turn their situation around. So Charlie does get the ticket, and then he heads to a local cafe with police partner Bo. Yvonne comes to take their order, but hey, when you're in 12 grand of debt, you wouldn't be in a great situation either. You know, I've still got student loans to pay off, but, um, you know, if Nicolas Cage came to where I was sitting, you know, I think I could turn that frown upside down for a few minutes. Now he tries to crack, uh, Charlie tries to crack some kind of light humour about ordering lobster from the cafe menu, but the joke is, it's a cafe menu and there is no lobster, because you don't get lobsters in little little cafes like that, you know, you know what I'm saying, so uh, really on the pulse as ever, really on, on the point of cultural humour, the way we know that Nick Cage can be, but Yvonne, less than enthused, at these uh, these wise cracks, she all but tells him to go fuck himself, which is not on. Now, again, I'm just saying, and you're probably going to know where I'm going with this if you've listened to this podcast before, but if Cage came to my restaurant, anything he wants, anything he wants, is on the house, because I would go full Dementor, full Harry Potter Dementor on him, and I'd suck him like my life depended on it, like his life depended on it, and one of us would not have a soul by the end of it, okay? But before they can place their order, Team Cage gets radio to deal with a naked guy, and they have to bounce. We've all been there. Charlie picks up the check. He's got no money for a tip. It's more than anything, just to sort of, again, just breaks the mind. She says, hey, look, I've got a lottery ticket. Um, we'll split this. So the ticket is, of course, code for a stern hogging. And if he wins, he'll return it and split it. If he loses, he'll leave her a tip. A hog tip, that is. Um, Yvonne, of course, thinks this is all a bit bullshit. She's talking a good game. She's not interested in his nonsense. And she just leaves it at that. But in this clip, we'll hear a real Ian, if we've ever seen one. And I bring this up because you just have to be reminded that we don't stand for that here. We stand for heroism, hogs. And something else that begins with H. Charlie! Yeah! I want a tiny! Come up! In a minute! What are you, whipped? No, I'm not whipped. I've got adult responsibilities. Next batter! 
Yeah, we've all heard that one before. So Muriel, uh, and basically this is the tone she takes throughout the film, just screaming, shouting, berating. Um, and you imagine this, you know, behind closed doors is this what Ian goes through as well, but and honestly, I don't care to find out. Muriel continues to chastise Charlie for damn near everything, just soaking his feet after a long day at work, um, just being a nice person. She even has a go at him for getting the lottery number wrong, a point of contention about whether their official uh, anniversary date was 26 or 27. Uh, she says 27. Cage, of course, gets 26. And so she's going in at him for getting this number wrong. But then suddenly, the numbers come in on the TV. 26 is one of them. And then they've won the bloody lottery, haven't they? It's a 64 million jackpot. But there's a bowling team who takes a sort of a chunk of it as well. But they're still jumping around. So now Cage has truly earned his title as the Earl of Waddington at 123 Cash Money Avenue. So as I said, they learn that some other people have to split the winnings. So they go down from 64 million to 4 million. You better believe that Muriel was not happy about it one bit. What? All right. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Well, the bonus, thank god, they only count as one. But, uh, the 16 people that picked this number, oh god. That only leaves us with... Four million. We could live on that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We could live on, uh, we could live on less, even. Again, Charlie, being the voice of reason, um, now, being the honest hogger that he is, he does admit to his promise to Yvonne to split the winnings. Um, Muriel, crazier than Cage in Deadfall, again, not happy about this. But what you've got to recognise is Charlie good guy, the truest hog in New York, and he's going to tell Yvonne. The next day, he is conflicted about whether to do it at the protests of Muriel. He's like, do I just tell it didn't come in? Do I just give her the tip? Do I say that I won less and just give her sort of 5,000? He goes into the cafe. He buys one of those little string things that you put around your glasses to keep them around your neck. And kindness like that, if it doesn't have you raging downstairs, then you are a corpse. They get talking a little bit more about their lives. Yvonne explains to Charlie that she went bankrupt, um, which is why she was a bit shitty with him the day before. And in response to this, Charlie offers a, a choice. He says, you can either have the tip, the tip that I owed you from yesterday, or you can take door number two, you can have half of what I won in the lottery. Yvonne jokingly chooses the lottery winnings, but a promise is a promise, a hog is a hog, and she gets herself... A sweet two million. Now all these winnings, they go public. The media gets massive attention up on this. They're interviewing all the winners of the lottery. Charlie explains in his little media interview that he split the winnings with a stranger and ends up gathering unprecedented attention from the media. The story becomes front page news and spreads all over New York quicker than coronavirus. Muriel goes on a spending spree. Of course she does. Charlie gives some money to the homeless, yin and yang, but one is yin and one is bad yang. Because uh, one is, I don't know how yin yang works, but one of them is bad. That's that's the point I'm trying to trying to get to there. So he's a real paragon of justice, a prince of all things raw dog. 
Um, I guess it begs the question as well, sort of, what would you do if you won the lottery? If you were suddenly four million richer, dollar, euro, um, pound, not that the pound's worth anything these days, um, I think I'd keep campaigning to get that Nicolas Cage Funko Pop. I think it's only a matter of time, you know, maybe, um... I'd buy a Domino's at full price without using a deal because then people are going to know that I mean business. I would also give Ian a double-sized bin and just fill it with grease because I know he'd climb into it and slather himself and never come out. I would also, also, also pay whatever fees was necessary to put Nicolas Cage in front of me for an after-dinner speech. A nice little one-on-one thing, maybe some candles, maybe some lobster this time. And just, you know, just two guys, just two really straight guys having a nice after-dinner crack-crack. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Back to the film. Cage goes out for a coffee, uh, conveniently, where a store is being held up. However, Captain Cage has got that Cage sense tingling. He's right on the case. Clocks that his, and I quote, favourite Korean is in danger. So, screw you to that guy's wife. Um, He takes his hog out of the holster, goes to work. Sneaks around the back, can of soup in one hand, throws it, what a forearm, using that baseball practice, he's been uh, getting in there with the local street kids, knocks out one thug with a, a can of Campbell's to the face. The second one, he basically spears this guy like Goldberg right through a glass door, and he will henceforth be known as Cageberg, the undefeated professional hog spearer. However, in the process of being a hero, Charlie does take a bullet to the arm uh, and in a public parade ceremony the following day, he is awarded a public honour by the chief of the Popo. In addition, he also donates $10,000 to the police widow's fund because he will not stop being a really, really nice guy and also decides to take a uh, leave of absence with everything going on in the life, because sometimes you've got to you've got to take that step back. You've got to put yourself as numero uno. Now, with all these millions still to spend, Muriel continues her little spending spree. She starts renovating their apartment, and in the process, gives away Nicholas Cage's favourite chair, which is, of course, unforgivable. Women, who can live with them and without them? What? That is the voice of some man who was only in that scene who was helping them to sell their apartment and make some money or something. But (laughs) women, eh? They sure are. Um, So later on, Charlie and Muriel are invited to a New York millionaire's party on a boat. It seems to be this big celebration, this fancy over-the-top thing they're having on this uh, little cruisy line of things to celebrate the new millionaires in New York. Only the most esteemed of the earls can make it to that ship. Charlie sees Yvonne coming outside and he goes to meet her, but the boat does end up leaving without them. So they decide to get a meal together, the talk in the night away, the chemistry is as palpable as Nicholas Cage's hog. Muriel spends her night on the boat dancing, uh, talking stocks of this guy who, um, if you remember Fairly Odd Parents, Doug Dimmerdome. He look, <laughs> it just looks exactly like Doug Dimmerdome just talking about money and, and stocks and bonds and shares and other such boomer shit like that. Charlie and Yvonne, Charles and Yvonne, however, talk about their relationships. Yvonne wanting to be an actor, 
ended up getting with her uh, husband, who she's wanting to divorce, never had the money for. He put her into debt and just basically fucked her over. Charlie explains with Muriel, he sort of met her when they went to a, I believe it was a cooking class together. Goes on to mention that she was his first and he sort of stayed with her ever since, which is you know kind of sweet in its own way, but Charlie has these quiet regrets about it. He's got nothing in common with her. They don't really talk about anything and he has no idea how it all went so wrong, which reminded me of Ian with his bins because both of them are full of shit. Afterwards, Charlie and Yvonne begin to spend more and more time together. First, the rollerblading. Cage goes straight into uh, a little lake. Uh, and he doesn't didn't scream once. I was expecting some pure cage rage there. Didn't get it. He was very calm about the whole thing. Uh, later, they're paying for everyone's subway ride home. They're treating the neighbourhood kids out to a day out at the Yankee Stadium to play some ball. It's just generosity as far as the eye can see. Speaking of baseball, I don't know really anything about baseball. It's not a thing here in the UK. don't know anything about baseball, but... I do know that there are four bases and Cage will get to base four with your wife every time. Charlie and Yvonne's generous exploits once again make front page news and now suspecting some horseplay between the pair, Muriel throws out all of his clothes from their apartment. At the same time, Yvonne's jerk husband returns eating all her macadamia nuts. He's hoping to steal a swift 50 G's from her to start up his acting troupe, but neither of them are having it. Yvonne leaves. Muriel tells Charlie she wants a divorce, feeling that his overt niceness is basically holding her back. So makes you wonder, what is what is the lesson here? Well, I've done the maths, I've ran the numbers, and let me tell you. The lesson... Nice guys finish last, but Nicholas Cage will finish a new wife. Charlie and Yvonne unknowingly both book into a uh, fancy hotel together. They're both a room apart. Um, they see each other as they're being sort of escorted to their rooms. I mean, it's it's no premiere in, it's no travel lodge, but if you want a splashy cash, if you want a bodgy wads, then, then don't worry about it. But then we go ahead to... Uh, just over an hour, one hour, 13 minutes, and about 18 seconds in, and Cage finally plucks up that courage, plants a big old smooch, and Yvonne, and you know, you just know, they follow it up with a million dollar dogging. As they leave the hotel, swarmed by even more press, who now want to know everything about this apparent relationship between Charlie and Yvonne, they want to know everything about Cage's million-dollar dog. And let me tell you, it's a real national treasure pun intended. Now, because this is all public news, now it's all in the public sphere, Charlie and Muriel are soon after meeting with lawyers to go over the divorce proceedings. Now, Charlie, he knows this has to happen. He kind of wants it to happen, so he just wants to get it over and done with. Muriel, first and foremost, demands his share of the lottery winnings. And Charlie's like, yep, that's fine. I don't care about the money. Never cared about the money. I don't want to drag this out any longer than it needs to be. But then they take a step too far. And they're honestly cruising for a bruising. They're on the bruise cruise. Got themselves VIP passes to a one-way trip to the bruise cruise when they then ask for all of Yvonne's share 
of the money as well, on the suspicion that she and Charlie had been having an affair, but as they say, all is fair in hog and war. Then this thing gets dragged over to court. Charlie's lawyer tries to fight the good fight and tries to push the story that, you know, it was Charlie who paid for the ticket. Charlie purchased the ticket and therefore is the rightful owner of the ticket and funds. But Muriel plays the supernatural otherworldly card and say, and said, you know, it was my father who visited me in a dream. He guided me to purchase a ticket and from there things start spiralling and escalating the case becomes daily front page news in the New York Post Muriel's lawyer feeds the story in that Charlie is an abusive cheat and that Yvonne is a desperate gold digger and a nymphomaniac unfortunately with all this slander and allegation against them the jury does rule in favour of Muriel Yvonne legs it and gets out of dodge from the courthouse and sometimes Having the biggest hog isn't enough. Sometimes you've got to pay for the privilege. You've got to pay to play. You've got to pay as you go like an old Nokia phone, you know. Um, it's it's sad to see. It's a dark, a dark day. A dark day to see Cage at the bottom of the barrel like this. And from there, Charlie's kicked out of his house. He's living with his uh, cop partner, Bo, sleeping on a small mattress with a tiny children's Barney the Dinosaur blanket. No place to call his own. On, a, on his living room floor. But as time goes on, Charlie puts his cop skills to work, eventually finds Yvonne in her cafe and confesses his love to her. Um, it's important to note earlier in the film, Yvonne did put her winnings towards purchasing her own cafe. She even set up a specific table, which she named after Charlie, and that was to sort of help people who were in her position who so couldn't pay for a meal, didn't have any money, and so they'll get that meal on the house. Because she's a bloody good egg. Now in the cafe, he finds her in tears. Yvonne is just apologising, saying, look, I've ruined your life, lost your marriage, you've lost all this money, it's all my fault. If you'd never met me, this wouldn't have happened. But it's like, nah, nah, fam, let's have less of that. Less of that. Shush, 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 you pretty little face there. He rejects this. So look, it was never about the money. The money is just a thing that happened, but if it wasn't for Yvonne... He never would have found Yvonne. He never would have found someone that he had such a special and instant connection with. Now, as they're hugging and reconciling, and it seems like we can have like a small little light on the horizon, a little silver cloud. There is a homeless guy that sort of taps on the window, uh, looking for some food. So they let him in. He has a little bit of soup, but then. Uh, he gets this tiny little camera, this little spy camera, clicking away, taking pictures. But then we get like from that a cheeky uh, but nice little twist at the end of the film. The homeless guy turns out to be Angel from the start of the film. Isaac Hayes, little uh, narrator character who strangely kept popping up just in random scenes um, with Charlie and Yvonne as if he was a guardian angel, so to speak, as the name implied. He's been watching over them. It turns out uh, that he had been following Charlie and Yvonne throughout the film it transpires that he is a photographer for the New York Post and upon the receipt of their kindness, their generosity he eulogises their willingness to help feed a homeless man in his time of need really puts out there what a wonderful couple that they are I mean it's Nicolas Cage, what did you expect and then the next day Charlie and Yvonne go to the cafe a literal mountain of mail 
at the CAF, all of which contains these heartfelt messages from people across New York who've been moved by their story, touched by their kindness. And then people around the city begin to set up these various Charlie and Yvonne funds. And after a three solid days of opening letters containing cash and donations and checks, New York has given them a tip of $600,000. So they get a lovely little happy ending there. We further learn that Charlie and Yvonne, they got married, which they uh, announced to the world in a hot air balloon ride across New York. They hogged repeatedly in the sky and on the land, as you would expect from Nicolas Cage. Meanwhile, Muriel ended up getting with Doug Dimmerdome, who subsequently rinsed her for every penny that she had, leading her to work in a nail salon and go back to living with a mother in the Bronx. Ian, of course, would continue to be a cook and leave his partner for the green bin that he kept outside. I always wondered what that little hole around the back of it was for. And then thus, all's well that ends well. We go from the top to the bottom and we level out on a good upwards peak, unlike COVID-19, um, where everything everything ends nice. A lovely, lovely sunset on a lovely little tail. And the credits roll. We are thus brought to the end of It Could Happen To You, um, in an overall, uh, a very sweet, likeable little film that, um, I think for the better, doesn't stray too much into the cutesy stuff or overtly soppy territory. They weren't chasing each other in the rain and confessing their love for each other, which is, I don't know, kind of a nice change to the formula, I think. Cage is great, obviously. He plays the, does play the film very straight, um, not really any of that classic cage rage that we all sort of know and love but he does also bring a real i suppose gentleness is the term real gentleness to the role which you don't always see from him so it's worth checking out this one just for um a slightly different cage a nice cage you know it's it's nice it's nice to see it just just for the sheer acting prowess the range the many styles the um the levels of the greatest actor of this generation Yvonne, played by Bridget Fonda, she shines, she's really good in this. The chemistry between her and Cage is really believable. It does add to the charm of this flick. Rosie Perez, um, who played Muriel, the bitchy Muriel, truly really pops out. You know, She's the one that does most of the comic lifting and is the, the real villain of the piece. You can tell she's had a field day um, in this role. I mean, there's not a great deal of depth to her character other than greed, her really. But you know what, for what this film is, um, I don't think there needs to be. I would say despite the genre listing as a rom-com, I I don't know that I would really lump this one in as a comedy. Um, It's just there are one or two moments, but really Cage and Fonda aren't massively given that much to do in a comedic aspect. It doesn't have the same comedic beats, memorable moments as Honeymoon in Vegas. I mean, parachuting Elvis impersonators are a high point in anyone's book, you know, as this film does lean a lot more towards the the human connections and the destined romance of Charlie and Yvonne. Now, I don't know if It Could Happen to You will necessarily stand out as one of the rom-coms for the ages, but... Again, it's a nice film. It's a light, feel-good film. It'll give you a smile to 
And I don't know, I'm 29 now, perhaps I'm just being a little soft in my old age, but I think I can happily offer it could happen to you a silver cage. The second highest honour on Cage Rage, the journey to true Cage Nirvana. And with that said, and that lovely moment, as we come to the end of the podcast, as we continue on my 29th birthday, on that lovely high note, we'll wrap things up now. But as ever, thank you for joining, thank you for listening. If you have been, we will see you next week for episode 22 of Cage Rage, the Nicholas Cage podcast. You can follow us as ever on the social medias, Twitter at Cage underscore podcast, Instagram at Cage Rage pod. We are also on Spotify. Um, we are looking to looking to branch out to the other uh, platforms out there that's a work in progress aka i'm very lazy and keep forgetting to do it and we're also on coffee.com uh, k-o-f-i.com forward slash daryl edge d-a-r-r-y-l-e-d-g-e if you enjoy the show and want to kick something back to your boy it helps with these films i have to keep renting uh, it's an expensive hobby being a nicholas cage fan but i do it for you i do it for cage senpai and i do it in the pursuit of the world's greatest hog. But again, thank you. I think we've rambled on a bit a, a bit too much for the ending admin. But we'll see you next time. But until then, keep on, keep on caging. Uh, bye.